basket. Those of you who are sitting in that last row there, maybe you know the drill. There's a basket underneath your seat, and we'll ask you to pass it down at some point. You can put the connection card as well as the physical offering uh, in the basket, or you can just go ahead and hit send if you did the digital. Those of you who are watching uh, Facebook, YouTube, welcome. It is good to have you guys worshiping with us, and you can go ahead and hit send. I hope that you filled out the digital connection card so we can, we can know that you're out there. Uh, so I'm starting a new series today. Uh, something, you know, something light, something light, something easy, you know, uh, God at war. We're going to be talking about spiritual warfare. We're going to be talking, we're going to spend actually the next six weeks talking about the reality of spiritual warfare. And now I don't, I don't say this lightly, but the reason that we're doing this series now over the next six weeks is because I, I really kind of felt God told me to do this series. Um, I was planning on doing something different. But then in the beginning of December, I went down to Bolivia. We've been a part of the Bolivia partnership from the inception of this, you know, Bolivian partnership. And so there's five vineyard churches that are down in Bolivia. And uh, I've known the pastors for more than 20 years. And so I went down there to, to, at the beginning of December, went down there to connect with the pastors, um, you know, with the COVID shutdown. And South America was shut down, like, even more stringently than we were. So we hadn't seen them in years. And, and so we had a good time just kind of reconnecting. But then I got, on a particular Sunday, I got to do some ministry in a vineyard church in Cochabamba, Bolivia. And so the, the way the day was set up, where I you know, spoke in the morning, uh, and, then, uh, and then there was a lunch. It was kind of an all-day-at-church type thing, so there was a lunch in the afternoon, uh, and then speaking again at night, and worship, and ministry, and all that stuff. So it was in the morning, uh, during the ministry time, this, this young, very young mother, I mean, she, she probably was in her 20, like early 20s, but honestly, she looked like she was 15. Uh, but she came, she had a baby on her arm, like a one-year-old on her arm, and she didn't speak a word of English. And so she's telling me, and I'm kind of piecing it together with my half Spanish, uh, what, she's, what she's telling me is that every single night when she goes to sleep, she feels like she's being spiritually attacked. She actually, what she said is it feels like somebody's choking her, uh, that, that it's, it's just like she feels this like evil presence. And she said to me that she's even woken up sometimes with like scratches on her. And, uh, and, and she said that it's just been going on and she doesn't understand why and, and how can this not, how can she get free from this? You know, and she, cause she said that she's starting to get more and more discouraged. And she even said that it's like, she's wondering if she can like continue to live with, with this kind of attack happening every night. So I called over someone because I, I kind of pieced together what she was saying and I had somebody, tr you know, translate just to make sure I understood what was going on. And I said, all right, let, let's pray. And so I put my hands on her forehead and said, come Holy Spirit, and began to pray. And immediately she did what I, what I call uh, manifesting a demon. And what that means is that there were, you know, there were, there, she was demonized. There was like spiritual attack that was going on in her life. And as soon as we began to pray, kind of the demon took over. And so what happened was, uh, you know, her body kind of contorted, uh, her eyes kind of rolled back in her head, uh, she fell down onto the ground, and, and, and it was kind of like immediately uh, the spirit took over. And there's a thing, I've, I've had this happen, like I've been involved in seeing this dozens and dozens of times, and it's so interesting because it's always kind of the same way, it plays out the same way, because the look in the person's eyes when the demon kind of takes over is, is I've seen this look kind of all over the world, I've seen it here, it's, it's, this, it's this very different look. And so, uh, you know, immediately kind of knew what we were, what we were up against. And, and um, uh, this, this particular demon was very chatty, so was talking to us quite a bit, you know, telling us things. And there's a, we're kind of like tag teaming, so it's me and Roberto, who's the pastor, uh, Kimber, who maybe some of you know who's there. And so we're, we're in the process of, of praying, and it went on for a while, it went on for like it might have been like a couple of hours. And there were people who were like, you know, it was like during the time when everybody's supposed to be having lunch. So people are upstairs like praying for us. People are down there praying for us because this clearly was this kind of struggle that was going on. And, uh, and it, what, what came out, because we weren't really getting anywhere, you know, like we'd be, and I was doing it all through a translator. I'm like commanding the spirit to come out and, and the person was, you know, someone else is translating. And, and, uh, 
And they kind of came at the demons just kind of laughing and like, nope, not going to go. And it turned out, we found out, because one of the things that I, you know, try to find out in this kind of a situation is how did the demon kind of get a right to be there? And, uh, and so I'm asking that, and it turns out that this girl's mother was a bruja, was a, was a witch, and uh, was actually one of the biggest, you know, had one of the biggest kind of businesses, you know, kind of in this whole neighborhood. And so this poor girl had been exposed to all sorts of ceremonies and all sorts of things like all of her life. And what I've experienced is that like spirits that kind of come in through occult practices can be really kind of tough, you know, kind of hard to get out. And so we're kind of not getting anywhere. Uh, and so then I, I felt like, okay, so, so I've been trying to do this through a translator, so I'm just going to start, I don't know how it works, maybe the demon speaks English, I don't know, I'm just going to start like speaking like clearly, right? And, uh, and so I started saying things, like one of the things that I've learned is that you got to kind of show, you know, as you're using the authority of Jesus' name, you got to kind of, sh- you know, show the demon that he has to listen, right? And so, and so I said, in the name of Jesus, I command you to look at me, because, you know, the eyes are shut, and, and I, I command you to look at me. And I would say that a few times, and the demon was just kind of like, struggling, just kind of like when a toddler does something they shouldn't do, and they won't look at you, it was kind of like that. And so it, you know, turned and looked at me, even though I was saying that in English, and the girl didn't speak any English. And then, like, from there, you know, it's kind of like a lot of stuff's going on, but, but I got to a point I said to the, I just said to the demon, I said it in English, I said, you know, you're, you're, you're pretending that you're strong. You're not strong. You're weak because we're here in the name of Jesus and we're using the name of Jesus and Jesus is more powerful. And so in comparison, you are a weak spirit and you're going to have to leave. I said that just like that in English. Remember, the girl didn't speak a word of English. And so what, and then the demon says, says, uh, no devil, soy fuerte, soy fuerte. It means I'm not weak, I'm strong, I'm strong, I'm strong. And so me, at that point, it was just me and Kimber. And we just kind of looked at each other like, man, that, it understood, that's crazy. You know, that, that the response was, was in, you know, in Spanish to the, to the English statement. So anyway, so we got to a point where we were able to cast a number of demons out of this girl. And, um, and so then, and some of you were kind of like, wow, I've been coming to this church, and Phil, you seem so normal. But now I realize, like, you crazy. Like, what are you talking about? You know what? Read the Gospels. I mean, this kind of stuff happens, right? And, uh, and so, um, so anyway, so, so a couple, you know, people were really nice. They, like, saved me a pl- you know, plate of food, and I went upstairs, and I ate. I'm kind of exhausted, and I got to preach again. And that's why when I, you know, come back from Bolivia, I'm usually pretty tired. But, uh, and, uh, and so, um, so anyway, after I preached that night, you know, this girl came back with her husband. She had two kids. And it was just so beautiful because she, like her count, everything was so different. She, her face was so different. Her husband is thanking me and others and, and he's crying because there had been this whole kind of thing that was going on. And it was just so wonderful to see the power and the authority in the name of Jesus bring freedom for this woman, this poor girl who had struggled with this for such a long time. And so at that time, I just was thinking, you know what? I think it's time. I feel like I haven't done a series like this talking about spiritual warfare in a while. And I think it's time to do it. I kind of, I was, you know, like I said, I was planning on doing something else. And I said, let's, let's do this. And so, you know, I kind of decided that I'm going to start doing a series in February. And uh, I wanted to really have it be something where we could just realize that, like, we, we don't wrestle with flesh and blood. Like, we think our problems are materialistic problems or political problems or sociological problems. But no, our problems is that, is that there's spirits and there's principalities and there's all this like spiritual warfare that's, that's going on, on all around us. And if we're going to make sense of our life and if we're going to understand kind of what's going on, we, we need to be aware of the spiritual reality all around us. And, uh, and so anyway, so I came back and like the next week I'm here in church and this young woman, she came up to me and she said, Pastor Phil, I need to talk to you. I, I've had this thing going on in my life where, where at night uh, I go to sleep and it just feels like there's an evil presence in my room and, and it's like the hair in the back of my neck stands up and, and I don't know what to do and it's scary and I'm having these dreams but they're like terrifying and it feels like I'm getting attacked while I'm, while I'm sleeping and you know, the dreams are just so intense and so I prayed for her. And then I said to her, I said, listen, I said, the next time that happens, the next time that you feel this kind of presence, you have authority, you can use the name of Jesus and just say, in the name of Jesus, I command you to go. And so I saw her the next week and I said, hey, how, how are you doing? How did it go? And, uh, and she said, oh, it was a lot better. That prayer that you taught me, that actually worked. That worked, you know, it's like things, things got better. 
And so I just realized that, that I think this is something that we need to do. And so over the next six weeks, we're going to be, we're going to be focusing on this. And, and, uh, and, I, and I'm hoping that not only is it something that will enable us to understand our life a little bit more, understand the spiritual reality all around us, but maybe there are some bondages in your life. Maybe there's some attacks that are going on in your life. Maybe there's some spiritual, you know, realities that are happening, happening in your life where God has a level of freedom for you that we're going to collectively be able to come into over the next few weeks. Because, listen, the Bible couldn't be clearer about the fact that there is a spiritual war that is all around us. But, you see, we're all, we're influenced by something called a Western worldview. We've all been taught like that, that everything has a scientific explanation. And so even though it's like we believe in the Bible and we believe what the Bible says and we believe this stuff happened in Jesus' day, it's hard for us to see the reality of the spiritual warfare sometimes when it's like right in front of us. So I think about, you know, I think about the horrible murders that happened in Idaho back in, back in November. Uh, you know, so many people have been fascinated by this because the person who was arrested for the murder, these four college students, his name is Brian Kohlberger, and he, he's the alleged murderer, you know, be really clear, he's a, it's alleged that he did this, but, but apparently, there's a lot of evidence, it seems, so he was a criminology PhD student, and so he was fascinated by murders, he was fascinated by like, how do you get away with a murder? And, and allegedly, it appears that maybe what he did was just randomly pick these two girls, uh, these two college students, and then decide that he wanted to, he wanted to execute his plan and see, if it could, and see if it could actually work. And so why would somebody like this, why would somebody do this? Why would somebody violently kill these four people just kind of on a whim? Is he mentally ill? Or does he just fit like a certain profile? Or is there something more that was going on? Is there something darker? Is there something spiritual that drove him to do this horrible thing? Or take what happened in the summer of 1976 here in New York City. I don't know how many of you are old enough to remember that. I was 10 years old, and I remember, like, there was a lot that was happening in New York City in, in 1976 and 1977. And part of it, there was a big blackout, and the Yankees won the World Series, I think, that year. But, uh, but anyway, yeah, go Go Mets. Um, so there were there were a series of uh, um, there were a series of shootings that happened over this like eight month period, and it was they were very random. It was in all different parts of the city, and there was a lot of young women or like young couples. And what it was, what what they all had in common initially, it was called the forty four caliber shooter because the guy used a forty four caliber gun. And then uh, so everybody was terrified and, and like kids wouldn't go out and people were really afraid of this serial killer that was out there. Well, then the killer wrote a letter to the police saying that he was ordered to kill these various people by someone named Sam and the killer identified himself as the son of Sam. And so eventually the son of Sam was caught, this guy David Berkowitz, and he explained what was going on when he committed these murders. And what he said is that ever since he was a child, his life was filled with torment. He would get these seizures, and he'd regularly be thrown to the ground, but he, he said if he felt, though, like when he had these seizures, like something was like coming into him. And so he had fights when he was a kid. He would get these urges to just go walk all around the city like in the middle of the night and he would be tempted to throw himself in front of a bus or throw himself off a bridge. And he said that he went to his rabbi, he went to psychologists, he went to teachers, but nobody could help him. And so then what, what he says kind of in his own words is when he was 22 years old in 1975, he met some Satanists and he started to get really interested in, uh, in, in Satanism and, and uh, he began to explore that. And then in his own words, he said, I felt as if something were trying to take control of my life. I began to read the Satanic, satanic Bible by the late Anton LaVey, who founded the Church of Satan in San Francisco in 1966. I began innocently to practice various occult rituals and incantations, I am utterly convinced that something satanic had entered into my mind and that looking back at all that had happened, I realized that I had been slowly deceived and I was gradually giving more and more of my life over to Satan. I did not know that bad things were going to result from all of this, yet over the months, the things that were wicked no longer seemed to be such. I was headed down the road to destruction and I did not know it. Maybe I was at a point where I just didn't care anymore. 
And so what do you think of David Berkowitz's explanations for his murder of all of these people and wounding others? You know, David, by the way, said that this, this Sam wasn't a person, but was this old spirit, this ancient spirit that spoke to him through his neighbor's dog. And so was David Berkowitz just another schizophrenic that heard voices in his head, or was there something else that was going on? Or you think about like on a more global scale. I don't know how many of you, you know, remember, if I'm sure you do, the horrible thing that happened in Rwanda in the, in the 1990s, uh, how you had the Tutsis and the Hutus, and they, they lived together. They were these two different tribes, but they lived together for a long time, lived peaceably. They'd be together in the same towns, and, and you'd have a Tutsi teacher who would teach Hutu children, and, and they, you know, coexisted as neighbors. But then the Hutus, some Hutus started to scapegoat the Tutsis as the ones who were responsible for all the problems that were happening in the country. And so over the course of a few weeks, Hutus rose up and slaughtered hundreds of thousands of Tutsis. And so you would have like a Tutsi teacher be murdered by the parents of her school kids. I mean, it was this, like the world was just watching in shock as this, as this was happening. It was absolutely horrific. Or you think about like what, what happened in the Holocaust and, and you just think, you know what, there are times as we try to make sense of this world that we live in, right, there are times when we understand, okay, there was a crime of passion or there was a robbery that went wrong, but then there, there are times and situations where we say, it seems like something else is going on. It seems like there's, got a, there's some other dark, malevolent, spiritual something that seems to be going on that's driving things forward. Well, let's, let's bring it down a little bit more, more mundane. Let's talk about our own life, right? And, and what about, have you ever had a time where you came to church? And you came to church, and you're getting your worship on, and everything's really good, and the sermon, it seems like the message was just for you, and your soul is getting fed, and maybe you came up for ministry, and there was a word, and you got healed, or whatever it was, and you're just like, you're just full of the Holy Spirit, full of life, and it's all good. And then you, you get to the car, you start driving home, and then all of a sudden your kid starts like projectile vomiting all over the place, or your car breaks down, or your spouse, you know, brings up that thing that unresolved thing that always leads to a horrific, horrible fight. And so by the time you get home, all the blessings that you'd experienced, all the ways that you had said, okay, Jesus, I'm going to serve you and it's all good, it almost seems like, like that's, it's all gone, right? Or maybe you're just kind of going about your normal day-to-day life, right? You're just minding your own business. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, this like powerful like temptation just kind of like overtakes you. Like it just feels like it, it takes, all of a sudden, like that thing that you're trying not to do, maybe you're, you're in recovery, but all you can think about is having a drink. Or all you can think about is looking at pornography. Or all, you know, just you're getting triggered and you just feel like you just want to explode and you want to yell and scream or it just feels like this depression or this anxiety just kind of comes out of nowhere and, uh, and just wants to, you know, completely overwhelm your life. Or you're trying to do something for God. And you're part of a, of a ministry team, maybe part of a worship team or a church planning team or, or serving the poor on a Saturday or whatever it is, or a pastoral staff. But then all of a sudden, it just seems like there's, there's so many misunderstandings and there's so many conflicts and everybody's at each other's throat. Or you have a moment, a time where, where uh, everything that could go wrong in your life seems to be going wrong. Ever have that? Where it's like unrelated, like the boiler breaks... The car breaks down. You get a letter from the IRS that says you owe $2,000 in back taxes that you didn't know about. You know, your kid gets sick. You're, you know, I mean, all, you know, your boss is mad. All the stuff that could go wrong seems to like one after the other after the other. Or maybe you're like, you know, that young woman that I talked about in the beginning. Where maybe like you go to sleep at night. You go into your bedroom and it just, it just feels like there's an evil presence that's there. It just feels like, like there's, there's some sort of oppression. There's something that's going on uh, that, that you don't fully understand, but it just seems really weird and really scary. You go to sleep, and, and it goes beyond bad dreams into like these, these kind of terrifying nightmares that almost feel like you're being attacked. See, I've been, I've been preaching on this from time to time uh, over the last 25 years. And, and what, I always, what always happens whenever I start talking about this kind of stuff, I get emails from people. I get emails from people who say, Pastor Phil, I never told anyone this because they would think I was crazy, but here's what's happening in my life. 
And so I'm sure that for some of you, maybe that's kind of where you're at. You say, yeah, you know what? This, this is kind of naming something that I think has been going on in my life, and I don't know what to do about it. Well, let me, let's turn to 2 Kings chapter 6. I wonder, this is kind of a foundational passage, I think, not only for this message, but for this whole series. And so I'm going to read through, I'm going to read through this, this passage, and, uh, and I'm going to kind of comment as we, as we read through, and you'll see kind of the big picture, the big thing that I want us to focus on. So starting at verse 8, it says, now the king of Aram was at war with Israel. So this is 900 years before Jesus was born, so 9th century BC. The king of Aram is actually modern-day Syria, and so there's at war with Israel, and after conferring with his officers, he said, I will set up my camp in such and such a place. The man of God sent word to the king of Israel, beware of passing that place because the Arameans are going down there. So this man of God that we're talking about here is Elisha, the, the famous prophet. And so basically, whenever the king of Aramean would come up with a plan, God would tell Elisha what he's going to do. And so Elisha would go to the king of Israel and say, hey, the, the Arameans are going to be here, or they're planning this attack, or they're going to do this, that, or the other thing. So the king of Israel checked on the place indicated by the man of God. Time and again, Elisha warned the king so that he was on his guard in such places. This enraged the king of Aram. He summoned his officers and demanded of them, tell me, which of us is on the side of the king of Israel? So he thought, I must have a spy, because how is it that the king of Israel knows our every move? None of us, my lord the king, said one of his officers. But Elisha the prophet, who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the very words you speak in your bedroom. Go find out where he is, the king ordered, so I can send men and capture him. The report came back, he's in Dothan. Then he sent horses and chariots and a strong force there like a strong force is an understatement he sent like his whole army to get Elisha he went by night and surrounded the city when the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city so Gehazi Elisha's servant sees like we're done we're cooked what are we going to do we're completely alone and exposed and there's an entire army here and so verse 16, Elisha answers and says, Don't be afraid. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, Open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. And that's the title of this message. And really, that could be the title of the series. Open our eyes, Lord, so that we might see. God, open our eyes to see the reality of the spiritual battle that is all around us. And so what ended up happening here, the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. So the army of the Lord of hosts was all around. And all of a sudden, Gehazi realized, that's why Elisha's not freaking out. We're safe and secure because I'm able now to see the army of the Lord. So Elisha prayed, strike this army with blindness. So he struck them with blindness, as Elisha had asked. And so then Elisha goes up to this blind army, right? And he says, he says, oh, this isn't the road, and this is not the city. Follow me. And I'll, this Elisha guy that you're looking for, follow me. I'll lead you to him. And, uh, and so we led them to Samaria. So he basically leads them right to the king of Israel. And so they get, they get right there like they're captured, they're contained. And then he prays, and then he prays, uh, he, he, as they entered the city, Elisha said, Lord, open the eyes of these men so they can see. Then the Lord opened their eyes, and they looked, and there they were inside Samaria. And so it's, it's kind of a funny story. I like, Elisha seems like he's from Jersey because I think he had a sense of humor, you know. Um, but anyway, open our eyes, Lord. Right? We need our eyes opened. You need your eyes open. Listen, I just want to be really clear. I don't want any of us to be demon-focused. I don't want us to be thinking about Satan too much. But what we need to do, though, is we need to be aware. We need to be aware. We need to keep our eyes on Jesus. But we need to, as the Bible says, uh, you know, be aware of the devil's schemes. That we understand that we have an enemy. And the enemy comes to rob, kill, and destroy. And you see, here's what happens in our life when we're not aware. Because we have this Western worldview, and we just kind of think everything's cause and effect, and we don't, we don't kind of look for the enemy and any, any, to be responsible for anything that's happening. And it's like we have all these things that we want to see happen in our life. 
right? We have these, these goals. We want our family to turn out a certain way, and we want our marriage to be a certain way, and we want to achieve these, you know, these financial goals, or, or we want ministry to happen in such a way. And so we have all these things, and then we wonder, like, why it's so hard? And it's kind of, I've used this illustration before, but it's a good illustration, and this is Super Bowl Sunday, so I guess it's appropriate, but it's like we're, we're playing football. And so we've got all these plays, we're practicing, and we're drawing up all these plays. And we think we're going to do all this great stuff. You know, we're going to go in and it's going to score touchdown after touchdown after touchdown. And so we practice and we do like a, you know, a, a pitch to the running back, an off-tackle sweep. And we just, the running back's going to run up the sideline and he's going to score a touchdown. Or I'm going to drop back and, and I'm the quarterback and I got a really fast wide receiver and he's going to run a skinny post and I'm going to hit him in stride and we're going to have a touchdown and, and we're just going to score a touchdown after touchdown. And then we get into the game. And so the game's going on, we're all ready, we're practiced, we're good to go. We're like, all right, I'm going to do that, that running back sweep, that off-tackle running back sweep. And so you say, hike, and you go, and you pitch the ball to the running back, and he grabs it, and he's going off-tackle, and then all of a sudden, boom, he gets knocked back like five yards, he fumbles the ball, he loses the ball, he can't get up, he's got to get carted off the field, and you're like, what happened? That didn't work out the way that we thought it would. All right, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try another play. We're going to try that, that skinny post with the wide receiver. So you say, hike, you drop back, and you see your wide receiver, he's running, he's good, he's in the clear, you go to throw, and then all of a sudden from the blind side, boom, you're laid out, you get a face full of dirt, you're planted into the ground, and you get up and you look around, and you got players that are being carted off the field, and people are injured, and you go back into the huddle, and everybody's fighting, and you're like, what's going on? Why isn't this working out the way that I thought it would work out? It's because there's another team on the field, right? We forget that there's another team on the field. So many times, like we say, people will say, oh God, why did you let this happen? Or how could this God, don't you love me? And it's like, listen, he loves you, but there's another team on the field. Jesus said, in this world, you're going to have trouble. You're going to have trouble because there's another team on the field. But take heart, I've overcome the world. Take heart, I've defeated this other team. And so we need to understand this. We need to see this. See, we need to understand that when someone, someone that you work with, and you've been inviting them to come to church because you want to see them come to know Jesus, and they finally say, yes, I'm going to go to church. And then, you, then they're not there, and you're like, oh, I thought you were going to meet me, and where, where were you? And they say, oh, I got violently ill the night before. I was throwing up. Right? Why does that happen? Because there's another team on the field. Or you say, I'm going to get up early, and I'm going to pray, and I'm going to read the Bible. And, uh, and, and you're able to like read and focus and concentrate when you read all sorts of other things. But when you sit down to read the Bible, you find that your mind is distracted and you can't focus and, and maybe you even start to feel sleepy and you just think, this is really weird. Why is it different when I'm trying to read the Bible? Maybe it's because there's another, there's another team on the field. Or there's someone at work and, and you get to your break at work and all you want to do is just read the Bible. You're just sitting there minding your own business, reading the Bible on your break and your coworker gets so mad. And just like takes like personal offense that you would read the Bible in a public place because there's another church on the team or another, another field rather on the team or why the church planning team experiences disrupting and disruption and divisions or, or why it might be hard for a church to get into a building so they can continue the ministry of Jesus. Like why does this go on? It's because there's another team on the field, and we need to have our eyes opened. But too often, our Western materialistic worldview keeps us from seeing the reality of the spiritual warfare all around us. So we say, David Berkowitz was just a psychotic. The alleged murderer from Idaho was just some, you know, angry, you know, uh, incel or whatever. The, the Hutus in Rwanda were subject to cultural and economic forces which drove them to murder their neighbors. All of our illnesses simply have an organic cause. Our addictions are merely psychological. And the reason the worship team is fighting and at each other's throats, like right before the, the Holy Spirit conference, is because they're stressed. Right? Because we don't, we don't see. We need our eyes opened. And this blindness to the spiritual realities that are all around us, they impact our lives. And I think one of the things that makes the Western church ineffectual in a lot of ways is because our eyes aren't opened. 
And so over the next six weeks, we're going to talk about this. We're going to have some special services and things for us to experience freedom and to worship. I'll tell you more about that in the weeks ahead. But I want to end this, and I say, I say end um, loosely because I, I got a list of things. It, it's, I've actually had to work really hard to pare this sermon down. It, this very easily could have been a 90-minute sermon, but don't worry, it won't be. But if you want to open up your notes, you've got uh, in, your, in your app, I've got some fill-in-the-blanks here. What is it we need to see? Open the eyes of our heart. And so the eyes so we can see. What is it we need to see? First of all, we need to see God as our Father. So I have some verses here from Ephesians chapter 1, this prayer that Paul prayed. He says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. If we're going to talk about spiritual warfare, the first thing that you need to know is that your heavenly Father loves you and he is a good Father and he can protect you. You are safe and secure in the kingdom of God. Greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. Right? In this world, we're going to have trouble, but take heart. I've overcome the world, Jesus said. So we are safe and secure with our heavenly Father. Second, we need to see our identity in Christ. And uh, Ephesians 1.18, Paul says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he's called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his people. We need to understand that our safety and security, our protection, doesn't have to do, uh, doesn't have to do with our performance. It has to do with our identity in Christ, that we remember that he who knew no sin became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. We need to see that. We need to see that the victory is assured. We need to see that the victory is assured. I love this. Ephesians chapter 1, 19 to 21. And his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Let me just stop for a minute. Do you understand what this is saying? How much power does it take to raise a dead person to life? To not only raise a dead person to life, but to transform from like a human 1.0 body to like God's glorious new 2.0 body. How much power does that take? What Paul is saying he is here is that same power is available for us to use. And so Jesus, you know, where he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that can be invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. See, what you need to understand is what it means that we get to use the name of Jesus, that we have authority. You have authority to use the name of Jesus. And the name of Jesus, see, Jesus is the name that is above every other name. Jesus has been exalted far above every other ruler, power, and authority. And at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he's Lord. And you've been given power and authority to use the name of Jesus. Now, one of the things that I really, I got to, you know, honestly, when you get involved in these kind of deliverances, they're, they're rough, they're ugly. And I, I've, had, I've had dozens of them, like, you know, ones that are like kind of that intense and other ones that are small, but as far as the intense ones, probably dozens at this point through the years. And the thing that I always come away with is just such an appreciation for how powerful the name of Jesus is. Like just seeing over and over and over again that eventually like these demons have to yield and submit to the name of Jesus. And so I I had this, you know, something that I'll never forget happened to me a few years ago. I won't tell you the whole story, but it's a crazy story. Um, But there was this woman who was an opera singer in New York City. She wasn't a Christian. She really, I think she had like a cousin who went to a church somewhere. But this woman got like really involved in this like very like esoteric form of, you know, if you hear of like the Hinduism where like gurus are like levitating, it's like that kind of like, you know, really esoteric Hinduism. She got really involved in that. And she got thoroughly and completely demonized. And so she, she just thought like, oh, I got a bad spirit, you know, or instead of a good spirit, I got a bad spirit. 
And, uh, and so she was tormented. I mean, she was an opera singer, and she was unable to, like, audition for things because she always was trying to, like, keep the demons at bay. They kept on trying to get out. She, she was isolating herself. She couldn't, like, when you sing, she explained, like, you got to open your mouth, and you got to She's like, I can't do that. When I first talked to her on the phone, because what had happened was she somehow heard there was a pastor in New Jersey who could help her, and so somehow she got my phone number, and she reached out to me. And so when she called me, when she called me, uh, I started talking to her on the phone. She's walking down the streets of Manhattan, and then all of a sudden, the demon manifested and started talking through her, and the phone dropped, and she picked it up, and she came back, and she's like, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. She said, they don't like you. And I said, I don't like them either. Um, and so she ended up in my office, and so me and an associate pastor, for, it was one of those things for a couple hours, won't give you all the, you know, the, 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 the blows, but for a couple hours, cast multiple demons out of her. She was set free. She, she, we led her to Jesus, and then like the next week, she had an audition, and she got like, I don't know if it was the Metropolitan, it was some like big opera thing that she auditioned for, and she got the lead, and she completely like, she said it had everything to do with the fact that Jesus had set her free, and she said something to me that I, I'll never forget. She said, you know what? I've been in torment. And I've gone, she's like, I've gone to all these people who claim to have spiritual power. I've been to shamans in New York City. I've been to New Age counselors. I've been to people who were high up in, you know, like in her religion. She said, they all claim to have spiritual power. And they charged me a lot of money for the exercises of the spiritual power. But you're the only one I've ever met who actually has spiritual power. To which I said to her, I don't have a drop of spiritual power in myself, but I work for the guy who does have all the spiritual power and authority because it's the name of Jesus. We need to know how to use the name of Jesus, which is above every other name. Something else we need to see. We need to see that we are living in the midst of a spiritual battle, right? We are in a war. And there is no such thing as, as living as a, you know, a Christian living in peacetime, not on this side of things. There's going to be attack and counterattack. There are going to be times where you feel that there is spiritual warfare coming against you. There's going to be times when you feel that there's spiritual warfare coming against your family. There are going to be times when you feel spiritual warfare is coming against your church, coming against your leaders. Jesus said to Peter, Satan is coming for you. He wants to sift you like week. The Bible says that we need to know what the enemy's up to so that when the day of evil comes, we can stand, right? We need to understand this is part of the normal Christian life. Don't be surprised by it. I can't, you know what, I, I, I've done this long enough that I know that, that like what Satan does not like it when we start exposing him. And so I knew like he's not going to like the fact that we're doing this series right now. He just doesn't like it. And so there were there were a number of times this week where something happened or something stirred up and I was like, oh, yes, no, Satan's trying to kind of like lure me into a trap. I can see this. Like I've done this long enough, so I'm going to respond in exactly the opposite of how he wants me to respond because I was just aware that we're starting the series today and, and so there's going to be pushback. There's going to be warfare that's happening. So, but we need to remember that we need to keep our eyes on Jesus. I don't want you guys freaked out. I don't want you fixated on the devil, but keep your eyes on Jesus, keep him in the center, dwelling beneath the shadow of his wings, but be aware of the enemy's schemes. Or as it says in Matthew 26, 31, Jesus said, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. That's what we're saying here. Watch and pray right? That you be aware that the, the enemy is real, he's out there, and we're able to be aware of the schemes of the devil. And, so the, and, then, and then something else that we need to be aware of is that the stakes are high for us spiritually. The stakes are high for us spiritually. John 10.10 10 says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. Right? Jesus, God loves you and he has a wonderful plan for your life. Satan hates you and he has a terrible plan for your life. That is the reality. And you know what? We need to remember that. I, yesterday, I had to do a, a funeral for someone who was a part of our church for like eight years who struggled with addiction. And I've actually had to do a couple of fentanyl funerals over the last couple months. And, uh, and this was a, she's young, young mother. And she was, you know, been in our church, hadn't really been around much since the pandemic, but, but was someone who struggled with addiction. 
And so, you know, it would go, would go like years without relapsing, but then would relapse and would go to rehab and, and would come out and would, you know, do her best and would fall and get back up again and keep going. You know, and, and I, I looked at her, was looking at her Facebook page. I was friends with her on Facebook. And even just like a couple of weeks ago, she's posting stuff about Jesus. And you know what I mean? She was someone who was trying to follow Jesus. But then she, you know, she relapsed and got something that was probably laced with fentanyl and it took her out. Because we need to remember the devil comes to rob, kill, and destroy. And one of the primary ways that he does this, and let me just, let me just get real for a moment, not that I haven't been real up to this point, but one of the primary ways that the devil wants to get a foothold in your life is through sin. And you know what? That some people are like, oh, sin, you know, that's such a, that's such a like, days gone by kind of thing or some kind of like power move by the patriarchy. It's a social construct. No, sin is real. And you know what the reality is? The way that Satan gets strongholds in our life, there's, you know, there's different ways it can happen, but one of the ways he does it is through sin. And so you know what? It's like we just, we gotta, we just gotta be aware. We gotta be aware of the, devil's, of the devil's schemes and that your sins are not just your own little personal foibles and idiosyncrasies. That your anger, un, not dealt with, your anger unrestrained can open up a door. Your pornography addiction can open up a door. Your drinking two or three or four or five times a week too much can open up a door. Your unforgiveness and bitterness can open up a door. That there can be spiritual bondages that can, that can end up getting a hold of you that need to be broken. We can, how many of you have found yourself at some point and you said some point in your life, some part of your journey and you said, how did I get here? Anyone? I remember myself, like I wandered away from God like hard. I didn't wander away from God. I ran away from God in my early 20s. And I had some moments. I had some moments. I'll I'll tell you guys, I probably shouldn't say this. might be an overshare. (laughs) My wife and I, we went out to to dinner yesterday. And uh, we went to this this restaurant up at Route 17. I hadn't been there in a while. And it was like the old building used to be a bar. And I said to my wife, I said, oh, I remember this place. When I was 21, I got really drunk in this bar. And I had to sleep in this parking lot. And she goes you're such a loser. And I said, I know, I was until Jesus came into my life. But you have these moments where you say, and I hadn't been in that parking lot since then. So I wasn't, it came back to me, but I don't know why I told you that, but we're friends. So I don't know. Jesus, Jesus changes lives and I'm an example. So, and, and my wife is just like, oh my gosh. But uh, anyway, how many times have we, and I remember in that period, there were times when I was just like, how did I end up here? I, I probably, when I woke up that morning in the parking lot, like, how did, probably was like, where am I? You know, but how did I end up here? And we all have had those moments in our life, and it's probably some sort of spiritual warfare, spiritual attack that led you to this place. And the last thing is this. We need to see, our eyes be opened up, we need to see what's needed to fulfill the mission that God has given us. 1 Corinthians 4.20, the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. Let me just say this. Here's what I think is kind of going on for us as a church, in our lives, in our culture. How many of you guys saw the Grammys a couple of weeks ago? Where I remember, was it, what's the name of that singer? Sam Smith? Is that his name? Yeah. yeah, yeah, Sam Smith. He did this thing with someone else, Petra somebody, and it was this like, he's like dressed up like the devil, and it's like they're in hell, and like the devil's being worshipped and all this. And, and so, you know, is that just kind of like harmless fun with some empty, hollow symbols? Or is there something else that's going on? And I kind of wonder, I wonder if maybe, you know what, the enemy in the past has had this strategy, to, especially in the Western world, to kind of hang out in the, in the shadows. And to just kind of like, you know, I just want people to not even believe I exist and I'm going to cause more trouble that way. But I wonder if maybe now the enemy's kind of changing his, his strategy, saying, well, like, I'm going to come a little bit more out in the open. Because one of the things that we're seeing with like Gen Z, young millennials, you know, younger generations is, is people are, are, are leaving the historic Christian faith in the West. You know, that's something that's happening. But they're not becoming like atheistic materialists. They're, because we're, we're religious by nature. And so something's going to come and fill that void. And so what's happening with a lot of like, and you probably know this, you know, if you have, you know, your kids or your friends or whatever, more and more people are getting involved in witchcraft, getting involved in occultism, getting involved in, you know, extreme forms of astrology and all sorts of different, all these things that, that, that aren't safe. You know, it's kind of like bad spirituality. It opens up doors. It's not something that's, fa- that's, uh, that's safe. We hear a lot about ayahuasca. 
You know, ayahuasca is this, this drug, this hallucinogen that, you know, in South America and the Andes and stuff that people would do. And it's like, it's a way to get in touch with the spirit realm. And people say you can have like all sorts of wonderful epiphanies. And so you have people like Silicon Valley leaders, Aaron Rodgers, Joe Rogan. I mean, all sorts of people from all over, all different spectrums talking about the wonders of ayahuasca. And as, more, as we open up ourselves more and more to this spiritual realm, we're going to see more and more people struggling with de- debilitating behavioral pathologies, drug and alcohol addictions, eating disorders, pornography addictions, suicide, depression, anxiety, gender confusion, more and more people all around us. We're just seeing more and more people who are experiencing horrible physical abuse, sexual abuse, that we're going to see as we give ourselves more and more to this as a society, there's going to be more and more darkness. And I think that if we are going to see the church expand in North Jersey and beyond and fulfill the mission that God has given us, the issue now, one of the big issues, isn't just, would you please convince me that Christianity is true? Or would you please have some nice programs for my children? Or would you please, you know, answer the esoteric question of what is, what is truth? Or help me be a little bit more of a moral person. I think the question that is burning in the hearts of people these days more and more is do you have anything? that is powerful enough to set me free from my addiction, to set me free from my bondages, and to set me free from this emotional prison that I'm in? Is there a power that can release me from this thing that is oppressing me? And I think that we as the church, we need to rise up and we need to say, yes, there is something that can set you free. There is power power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb, in the powerful name of Jesus. And I believe that we are returning to a time not unlike the early church where we are going to need to demonstrate the superior power of Jesus Christ over the existing power, the existing powers and the authorities. And a spiritually anemic church, a selfish church, a consumeristic church, a post-enlightenment, post-modern, deconstructed Christianity will prove less and less effective at reaching people in the 21st century. We need more than ever a a Christianity that is filled with power. We need a church that knows, like Jesus said in Isaiah 61, he said that the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's called me to release the prisoners, to free people from their from their chains, the blind eyes, that we say we are in touch with a power. We are in touch with the power of the Holy Spirit, and we have been given the authority to use the mighty name of Jesus. And so we're going to use the mighty name of Jesus so that we can come into the freedom that God has for us, because whom the Son has set free is really free. And we say, God, I want to be really free in my life, so I'm going to learn how to use the power in the name of Jesus. That we would say, I want to see people who are in bondage, who are in chains. I want to see bondages broken. I want to see chains fall off. I want to see prison doors open. And so we as a church and we as individuals are going to use the powerful, mighty name of Jesus so the captives can be set free. And so we say, Lord, open our eyes. Open our eyes. Let's pray. And you guys don't know, this was such a miracle that it wasn't a 90-minute sermon, I just have to say. Come, Holy Spirit. God, we bless your presence here right now. And Lord, I just pray that right now, in in the mighty name of Jesus, that you would move and that you would work. Lord, I pray that in the next six weeks, God, I pray that we would see chains fall off. I pray that we would come into freedom. Lord, I pray that you would draw people here, God, who need to be set free, who need to experience what only you can experience, God. I pray that we as your church would be a glorious bride, Lord, that we're, that we're dressed and clean and ready, Lord, ready for you and ready for everything you want to do in us and through us. And Lord, I pray in Jesus' name, that if there's anyone here right now who has not yet given their life to Jesus, see, the Bible says this. Let me just talk to you right now. If you're here or if you're watching and you have not yet surrendered your life to Jesus and said, Jesus, come inside my life, come inside my heart, 
The Bible says that the God of this age, Satan, has blinded your eyes so that you can't see who Jesus is. You can't see the light of the gospel. You think like, oh no, I'm just smart. I'm smarter than these dumb religious people. <laughs> Actually, what the Bible says is you're, Satan's blinded your eyes to keep you from seeing. And maybe right now there's like those blinders are kind of like, you know, coming off a little bit. You're, you're seeing Jesus is kind of breaking through. And so I want to give you an opportunity. Jesus came so that you could have life. You could have abundant life. But Jesus also came to set you free because there's a spiritual war that's going on all around us. And the only way that we can be safe and secure is if we're safe and secure with our shepherd Jesus guiding the way and protecting us with his rod and staff. And so if you're ready to surrender your life to Jesus, I want to give you an opportunity to do that. Just pray this prayer. Say, Lord Jesus, I need you. I need you in my life. I surrender my life to you. I believe you're the Son of God. I believe you died on the cross and you rose again. And even if you, listen, if you have a hard time believing that, that's okay. Because when you say, I believe, help me in my unbelief, Jesus will honor, Jesus will hear. And say, Lord, I believe. So I ask you to forgive all of my sins. I accept your free gift of salvation. And from here on out, I'm going to follow you. I give you my life. Just keep your eyes closed. But if you prayed that prayer, just raise your hand. If you prayed that prayer here this morning, say, Jesus, I need you. Okay, awesome. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I'm going to ask you to do one other thing. On your connection card, check off that you decided to follow Jesus. And while you have your card, check off that you're going to come to my foundations class as well because that would be a really good thing to do. Or you can text follow to 201-584-7180. We have some things that we're going to send you in the mail. All right. Um, we're going we're gonna to do a little bit more ministry here, but we're going to pass the offering basket right now. All right. So, so let's just kind of get these, get these going, get these circulating. You can put the connection card as well as the offering in the basket as it passes by. We're going to be doing a lot of ministry. We're actually going to have a special, I, I will, I'll announce the date to you uh, next week, but we're going to have a special Friday night that's going to be like a, a worship and freedom night. Where we're going to come and we're going to pray and we're going to do spiritual warfare. We're just going to let God do what God's going to do. Um, so we're going to really lean into this as a time to do some ministry. But let's have the prayer ministry folks come up. Here are some specific things that, uh, that the prayer team sensed God wanted to do this morning. They sense there's someone, you're a leader, maybe you're a leader here in the church, maybe you're a leader at your job, but you're going through a very difficult time, but you're afraid to ask for prayer because you worry about what people might think. And, and the Lord wants to minister to you and say, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid about what people think. Come up and, and humble yourself and receive what, what I have for you. Uh, a couple going through real difficulties in their marriage, you know, I mean, that's something we always assume that there are people, like they always, because marriage is hard but maybe you're really feeling that right now. We want to pray for you. Uh, someone else dealing with like really hard family issues. And then a mother, you know, you got, a, you got a newborn and the baby's just crying nonstop and you feel really desperate. God wants to minister to you. And I'll just say too, let's all, let's all stand together for a moment. But I just, I just think along with that too, that if you, if you feel that there's like attacks that have been happening at night or just some of this what we're talking about this reality of spiritual warfare or bondage we want to pray for for you to come into the freedom that god has for you we want to pray for you maybe you just kind of feel like you've been wandering away from god doing your own thing and this is god really just kind of getting your attention and saying i want to i want you to come back to me you need me you need to be you need me in the center and so maybe just a response to come and, and get some prayer and say, God, I need you in the center. So Lord, I pray that you'd fill us with your Holy Spirit. God, fill us with love for you. Be lifted up, Lord. Be lifted high in our hearts. Be lifted up in this place. And Lord, we just thank you, God, that we can know that no weapon formed against us can prosper because if you're for us, who can be against us? And so we rest, Lord, in that security that only comes from you. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Come up and get some prayer, guys, all right? Like God is here and he's moving and, and we got some time with the Spanish service, so come and get some prayer. Growth track's going to start in about five or ten minutes.